Happy Hanukkah! This year, Judaism Unbound is partnering with our friends, the Torah Studio, on a new way of celebrating Hanukkah called Apocryphist, Hanukkah Unbound and Uncanonized. We believe that Hanukkah can be a time of year where we connect to many books that were not officially included in the Hebrew Bible, but which nonetheless can be meaningful for Jewish individuals, communities, and the world. Through five bonus episodes, we will be exploring some of these books in detail and asking big questions about what canon even means. Liana Wertman, founder of the Torah Studio, which is an accessible and inclusive learning space that encourages people to take ownership of our traditional Jewish texts, and a past partner with us on live streaming events exploring books from Esther to Lamentations to Ecclesiastes to Ruth, joins us for all five of these bonus conversations. Learn more and sign up for our Apocryphist email list by visiting judaismunbound.com slash apocrypha. A-P-O-C-R-Y-P-H-A. This is a special bonus edition of Judaism Unbound, Hanukkah 2022, number two, The Scroll of Antiochus. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dan Liebenson. And I'm Lex Rofberg, and we're back with Hanukkah mini bonus episode number two, diving into questions of canon, of apocrypha, these books that didn't make it into the Bible that we still think are worth your time and interest all times of year, but especially this Hanukkah time of year. And so today... We are going to dive into this book called Megillat Antiochus, the scroll of Antiochus, Antiochus. You could pronounce it different ways depending on your language. I'll start by saying it's not often included in the set of books we call Apocrypha, but we think that it shares some characteristics with it. What, what is Megillat Antiochus? What is the scroll of Antiochus? So if you've ever wondered why we don't have like a thing that we specifically read on Hanukkah, you are not alone. In most of our other holidays, we have something that we read in services that we read at shul out loud from a scroll, right? The scroll of Esther, the scroll of Ruth. And on Hanukkah, we don't even have a specific story that we're reading, right? How, when I think about it, all of the stories I've ever really heard are just oral traditions of the story. They change a little bit every time. I mean, even Rugrats Hanukkah is making its own version of a story. Arguably the best version of that story. Arguably the best version. Um, But the rabbis were also confused by this, that there was nothing to go to synagogue for, for the entire like eight days of Hanukkah. And so around the second century, we have a book that comes out, the scroll of Antiochus, also called lots of other names that have different words for Hanukkah instead of Antiochus. And it was written originally in Aramaic, we believe in the second century. And it tells the rabbinic preferred story of Hanukkah. It's much shorter than other versions of um, like the books written about the time of the Maccabees and involves really crazy scenes of like Yochanan, uh, I think, or sorry, yeah, Yochanan Maccabee, the older brother who we apparently Judah Maccabee is not as important in this version, killing people in the middle of the temple. We have a giant one singular battle between the Greeks and the Israelites, which also involves elephants and someone (laughs) dying in elephant poop. It's truly a chaotic and beautiful story. And it's not that long. So I highly recommend folks spend some time this Hanukkah reading it. Head to the show notes for this episode to find the text of the Scroll of Antiochus in English, but also in the original Aramaic and some other languages. But I just kind of fell in love with it because 
I also wanted a story for Hanukkah that I could read every year. I loved this idea that the rabbis just wrote themselves a story and it became canon, not so much for the actual books that we read, but for a lot of communities, including the Yemenite community and the Italian Jewish community who read it every single year. And you can find it in their prayer books. We've kind of lost it over the last hundred or so years, but I've been wanting an opportunity to kind of bring it back into some excitement and, and power maybe in our time of Hanukkah. Yeah, it's a really cool book. I candidly had not heard of it and had not read it at all until Yuliana brought it up. And I dove in and I was like, this is my jam. And it's my jam for a few. First, I don't know that I would say I like really extra like this book, It's but it's fascinating to me. And it's fascinating for a few reasons. One is exactly what you laid out about how we have official scrolls for other holidays. And it's clear to me not only that this could be read on Hanukkah if you wanted to, but that whoever wrote it seems to have in mind specifically that you would read it in a community on Hanukkah. Like that's what it's trying to do. And I feel confident about that because it specifically directly echoes the book of Esther, especially in its conclusion. So the book of Esther concludes and it talks about what people in the future will do on these days that are now Purim. And this book too, Megillat Antiochus, it ends by saying like, and there was joy and gladness and it, which, by the way, that phrase joy and gladness is direct from the book of Esther. Like that's a, a clear hyperlink. I, it's hard for me to imagine that's on accident that that phrasing is used here. Um, and it's so parallel, like to get a little into the content, you've got Antiochus, who is parallel to the king in Esther, Ahasuerosh. You know, you've got two kings. But then the main villain in both stories is actually not the king. It's the sidekick of the king. So in Esther, that's Haman. Liana, Dan, neither of you booed. So that was... Oh, we were on mute. We were on mute. We we boo year round for Haman. And here too, the main villains, there's two of them. There's Nicanor, who is the first right-hand man. We actually know about him from some spots in the Talmud. It seems that this is not the only book that celebrates victories we've had against Nicanor. But then there's this guy, Bagras. I don't know how to pronounce it. Bagris, Bagris. Um, he's the other number two guy. And so we have this genre where like we seem to have more of a problem with sidekicks of kings than the main kings. Anyway, I, I thought that those parallels were really important to note because these folks had some chutzpah. Like whoever wrote this book, it, you you mentioned, Liana, it was written later than most than all these other books that we do read on certain holidays. But they were saying, you know what? We're going to fill in a gap. We don't have a book that we read on this holiday, the Book of Maccabees. Maybe that could have been the book we read on Hanukkah. It didn't get canonized. It's not centralized. So we're going to write a bite-sized version, very short. We want people to read it. And they failed. Like it, I mean, they, they succeeded for some communities, and that's part of what we're psyched to amplify. But they didn't succeed Jewish society-wide. And I'm like bummed about that. Yeah, so this whole thing with like the new number two that comes up, it's like the various Darths, you know, Darth Maul <laughs> and then Count Dooku takes over for him and then eventually Darth Vader, you know, there's like the number two. But I actually think that in this book, Mickey Lott Antiochus, Antiochus is also kind of, I, I picked up on this like bumbling nature of him, like Ahasuerus. And um, 
It did feel very similar. There there actually felt like a number of other greatest hits that came up for me. I mean, Liana, you may be more of an expert there. There's one where in the book of Judges, there's this story with a guy that like smuggles Ehud, the judge, and he smuggles a a, a sword in and kills the Moabite king with it. And it felt like there was this thing where Judah Maccabee has this like secret sword that he's dressed up as a priest and he comes in and he kills- Not Judah, it's Yochanan. It is? Yeah, it's a different. Th- that's important. Th- this Liana mentioned it. It's like a different brother of the Maccabees seems to be the main yeah. one. I missed that part. The oldest brother Yochanan is actually the high priest. Like he's the Kohen, the hot, like the Kohen in the story. This seems to be like in the Torah where certain books seem to like Aaron more and certain seem to like Moses more. This is like a parallel situation. Huh. Um, because what that's so interesting because I was just randomly reading that and just read it as Judah just seems obvious that it would be Judah. That's so interesting. I mean, just in terms of how you read a book and how you think you think you're you're reading something and you understand it. That's that's awesome. So yeah, so there's that scene that's kind of ripped off from the book of Judges. And one of the things that really struck me in the scroll of Antiochus, Megillah Antiochus, was there's a story, right? And and I remember learning it in school about the oil that lasted for eight days. And I think in the Talmud it basically says they found a vial of pure oil or something like that. And that's all it says. But in the Megillah Antiochus, it says that they found a vial of oil that was only one day's worth that was sealed since the time of Samuel the prophet. And that was so significant because the time of Samuel the prophet, we're talking before King David. And so we're talking really mythic times. I mean, the story of Hanukkah is taking place in approximately the year 150 BCE or so. And the story of Samuel the prophet would have been something like the year 1050 BC, something along those lines. And so they're basically saying that they found a vial of oil that was like 900 years old and it was still pure and untouched. I mean, that struck me as now we're really in the realm of fantasy. I mean, this is this is jump the shark. It's not believable. <laughs> and there was an element of that where it's like, and that is the point. The story moves from history to complete implausibility and therefore enters the realm of myth. And there's something that felt very intentional about that. I think one of the things I love about this is you can really tell the intention of what the rabbis were trying to do and that they really wanted to create a story that was going to be not just a reason to come to synagogue and to be in community, but also fun, right? Like a good story. But I think the most important thing about reading this, and especially comparing it to the book of Maccabees, the the two more can't like more traditionally recognized versions of this story, is that they're also trying to really set the story of the Maccabees into rabbinic Judaism and back into alignment with their like connection to the temple. So one of the things that you see in the book of Maccabees is that the Maccabees make a whole stand about how it is better to break Shabbat then to die on Shabbat. And that is pretty wild for the rabbis who are really trying to get people to fall in line with law, especially now that there isn't a temple. And in this book, instead, they're super focused on that the one thing that they mess with is that Yochanan was willing to kill people in the temple, right? So they're more willing to mess with the sanctity of the temple through Yochanan than they are with regular daily personal practices of Judaism like Shabbat. It also reminds me similarly of the way that they pick to not make fun of Antiochus too much, but more like Ahasuerus, 
connected to maybe being slightly bumbling, not as available, which allows them in this time period where they are living under Roman rule and, you know, generally in diaspora to have a plausible deniability that they're not going against kings, right? They're not hating kings, which is the same thing they're doing in the book of Esther. They hate bad people who hate the kings too. They don't like treachery against kingdoms. They're great citizens. And this really allows us to no longer be this rebellious, dangerous group of people that the Romans should be afraid of, but also to be somebody, a group of people that have our own culture without being a threat to the dominant people which is also something that the book of Maccabees really wouldn't be helpful with in that time period. Yeah, Liana, I love that you named the ways in which some of the tellings like really are, I'm going to say entangled. I don't mean it negatively, but they're entangled with rabbinic agendas. And I don't say that with like, oh, there's an agenda. It's just like there's particular goals in mind that the Talmud has when it tells its Hanukkah story. And they're not as present in Megillat Antiochus. And it's it's really interesting to see what Hanukkah looks like with a different set of goggles on, with a different lens. Dan, your moment of like, oh, I assumed it was Judah Maccabee, but actually it was Yochanan. That's a perfect example. Like, It's not that you, Dan, are some apologist for Judah Maccabee. It's just like, that's the goggles you've been wearing is the right. one that Judah is emphasized and not the four other brothers. You could have other stories where somebody could decide that they really care about Eleazar, who's one of the other characters here. Like there isn't a really interesting part where all five of the brothers are connected to different characters in the in the Torah. The author mm -hmm. is like, ah, yes, Judah is like the character Judah, who's a son of Jacob, like a lion, which that's a, a reference to a Genesis text. And this one's tied to this one. Like they, they make these cool, almost midrashic connections on why their names matter. And by the way, like that's what we want people to be doing. We want people to be translating old books to fit their own contemporary ideas and agendas. Like that's what we do all the time. I'm not saying this from a cynical place, but I think it gets at how at every stage, we have choices we make about the books we use, how we translate them, how we use them. And looking at this book, which is very fresh to us, which is very unfamiliar to us, it allows us to have a different kind of perspective. One more thing about Judah Maccabee, right, and our focus on him as the obvious hero of this story is that that is also, right, its own newer version of that story, that in the last few hundred years, as we looked back into our canon for Jewish heroes that we could focus on, I think a lot of that happened in the modern state of Israel, where we were like looking for people to rely on, be like, those are our heroes. We picked Judah Maccabee, and he has maybe because of that become the hero in our story that we don't tell with books these days. We tell with our voices and we share out loud to each other. I bring that up because the whole purpose of Apocrypha was what do we focus on, right? What are communities, what stories are communities focusing on in different times and in different places that maybe are outside of the canon? And in even modern times, we've chosen who heroes are in our stories, which means we can still choose different heroes in our stories. And the Apocrypha give us space to at least even if we don't use those apocryphas, see how people in the past have used storytelling to change how we understand the heroes in our story. That is such a good note to end on. So we're going to close out this episode. And by the way, re-emphasizing that you can find the full text of Megillat Antiochus in our show notes for this episode on our Judaism Unbound website. So definitely go there, check it out, because this will be more legible if you take a look at the story yourself and more fun. But um, last thing, if you have any questions, thoughts, 
comments, books you think need to be canonized urgently for the Jewish people, please be in touch with us. You can email us. Any of our modes of contact are welcome. And uh, with that, this has been Judaism Unbound.